0: Welcome to the Haber Show. Hope you and your family are safe and doing well. The NBA is entering week four since it shut down. And to talk all about where the NBA goes from here, as best as we can tell, uh, I bring in a giant in this space, New York Times is NBA reporter Mark Stein. And I say NBA reporter here, but he just as easily could sub in and cover the Premier League or Wimbledon and do a better job than just about anybody on this planet. That's how good Mark Stein is. So that's why I'm having him on the show, because he has as good of a handle on this pandemic impact on all pro sports around the globe as anybody. We're going to talk about the Olympics postponement, the NBA players who missed the Premier League the most, the so-called bubble scenario for the NBA's restart, the impact on the draft. Also, what happens to next season? Is it possible that December 25th, the league could be back and push that permanently? to an opening day on Christmas. We'll talk about that. Stein is the best. So without further ado, let's get right to it. Mark Stein. Mark, my man, how are you doing? How is life over there? I haven't had you on the show this season yet, and we've been trying to get you on the show. And under these circumstances, I'm not happy about it, considering what's going on around us. But I just want to know how you're doing. And just, yeah, I can't believe this is happening.
1: I can't either. I really can't. And, you know, theoretically, I think we all should have seen it coming better. I mean, honestly, what I, what I keep thinking about is, and thank you for the, uh, the check on us. We're we're doing, we are all good. It's, I mean, it is, I can't deny that it is strange. I think I counted it up. I was home for the last 18 days of March, which I don't think has happened for me since I was in college, but, uh, the good news is I was with my wife and kids for all of those days, and so I am the last person on earth who was going to complain. Thinking about where we are, it said, I looked this up. February 25th was when Dick Pound, the Canadian IOC official, that was the first time he said, the Olympics are in jeopardy. And I just remember it felt so distant. I think all of our – the NBA Twitter reaction was, wow, the Olympics are in jeopardy. But I don't remember anybody saying, Oh my god, in two weeks we could we the league could be shut down. And it went that quick. Like February twenty fifth, this felt so distant. So and on within
0: two weeks
1: it yeah, all came to a halt.
0: Yeah, on uh I think it was like early March, I had Ben Cohen from the Wall Street Journal on the pod. And after the show, just talking off the record with him. I said, Ben, you've covered Olympics before. You've covered this coronavirus and just you've been, you know, uh, he, he was really covering the the league's response outside of the NBA, just around the world uh, on this issue, on a business side. And so I just said, is there going to be Olympics this year? And he said, right now, I don't think so. And this was before, this was like March 2nd, March 3rd. And this was about 10 days before the NBA shut down. And that would have been considered extremely alarmist at that time. And what had happened was we were going to the Sloan conference that weekend, Mark. And I had asked Ben, like, how do you feel about this? Because it seems like things are kind of spiraling a little bit. And it was at that point when Ben had said he didn't think that the Olympics were going to go on based on how quickly this could unfold. I was worried and not worried enough because I was an idiot and I went to Sloan and I went to a couple games that weekend and there was just kind of this eerie feeling at Sloan Conference of everyone who's supposed, supposedly the smartest people in the world are all coming together, some of the owners in the NBA, some of the smartest, Bill James was there, I was in a conference room with Bill James of all people and sitting there and being like, if everyone else is here, then it must be okay, right? But now, Mark, in in hindsight, we're looking at all the heads of, I mean, some of our bosses are getting uh, infected with COVID-19, and it seems like uh, this is a virus that spread so much faster than I think a lot of us quite understood. And when Rudy Gobert tested positive, I was in my office getting ready for a bunch of hits on, on the NBC Sports Networks, and I couldn't believe it. It happened so fast, and I, I knew that if there was one positive test in the NBA, things would shut down, but I didn't quite think it would be that quick.
1: No, I was on a plane at, when, it, when, when the shutdown happened. I was actually on a plane to San Francisco to get in position because the next day, of course, was supposed to be Warriors-Nets in an empty chase center. So, I mean, the league clearly was hoping and praying that it could start playing games without fans and see how that would take hold. And it never got the chance.
0: Were you planning to go to that game anyway? Or did you, once you yeah, heard it? I was, I was
1: initially, I was in, what happened was I was initially scheduled to be in the Bay Area to work on a feature. And on the way to the Bay Area, I was going to stop in Indian Wells for tennis <laughs> because you know, I am an absolute tennis junkie. It's my my true teenage love was professional tennis. Indian Wells, which is essentially considered the fifth major in tennis, on March 8th, they canceled three full you know, three full days before the NBA did, that was actually really the first major cancellation in North American sports. And so I ended up having to be to dig out my old tennis writer's hat and put that on. And the, the there was shock. There was so much shock within the tennis community that Indian Wells, the, the tournament officials and officials in the Coachella Valley, they made that decision on Sunday, March eighth after there had been one positive COVID-19 test in the area, one known positive test in the area, not not among tennis players, just in the area. They canceled the tournament. Everybody thought they were crazy and so premature, and it turned out they were three days, three days ahead of the game on the NBA. They're the ones who really made the first move, but it didn't have the domino effect that, that the NBA did.
0: Yeah, can you put into perspective how many people go to Indian Wells? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, I I, I want to say if my, if my memory's right,
1: it, it ends up being, you know, about 500,000 people over a two week span. And it's, you know, obviously in that, in that community, there were fears that, you know, maybe older spectators are going to go. And it's, that was one of the, that was one of the reasons cited as maybe one of the early motivations. But again, that was on March 8th, they did that. T- tennis people were stunned. They, they couldn't believe that, that the decision was made that quick because there was actually a challenger level tournament the whole week before for both the men and the women, roughly a $150,000 tournament, which is a, a pretty high level of tennis and a pretty high caliber player. Basically players ranked from 50 in the world to, to 150 for both the men and the women. So it was essentially like a, a tour event, the week before in Wells, and and the men and the women they played to completion and then all of a sudden the su- on sunday you know two or three days before the the main tournament was actually going to start and they boom they canceled it and again tennis people were stunned and then 3 days later it it changed that quick for the nba and just i was literally in the air from the desert to san francisco and we didn't have a league
0: anymore one of the great reasons why i have you on this podcast this time this week is because you you just wrote about the idea of nba players who have a second love outside of basketball that they are missing soccer european soccer because they've shut down too you're also a huge fan of tennis. So you have this like 30,000 foot view, not just on the NBA, but also the other sports. So can you give an idea of what events on the calendar are off the table just to give some sort of bearings where we are in this COVID-19 sports world shutdown?
1: I think everything, I I, I think as far the last I know, I think the only thing that's actually happening in terms of team sports anywhere the, the, the professional soccer league in Belarus is still going ahead. That was the last thing I saw. And, you know, I'm, I'm a weirdo for sure. I mean, my, <laughs> I, know I, I know I annoy my NBA, my NBA friends with all my tennis and soccer talk, but I do not follow the Belarusian Soccer League. So I do not know if that's an accurate – I do not know if that's an up-to-the-minute. <laughs> that Wait, record.
0: I'm going to check the, the Twitter feed I for saw, that. Yeah.
1: The last I saw, that was they were still playing.
0: So how far out are things being canceled? Well, well but as we, you know, today,
1: as, as we're recording this, UEFA, which is basically the governing body of soccer in Europe, so the Belgian Soccer League, they announced season's over, and they, award, they just awarded the champion to, the, to, to Club Bruges. They're the champions. And so that obviously caught a lot of people's attention. Like, wow, they just said the season's over. Here's the champion. Obviously, ain't going to happen in the NBA. I don't think we're going to get to some point where they say seasons canceled. Uh, congratulations, Milwaukee Bucks, you're the champion. I, I, I don't see that happening. But that prompted UEFA, the governing body of soccer, to basically send a message to all leagues in Europe: don't cancel, don't do that, don't take that step yet. We are still hopeful of in July or August finding a way to play. And I think soccer is pertinent because it's the same kind of loose timing that we keep hearing rumblings about here in the NBA, July, August, September, this whole Vegas bubble idea. I mean, that's kind of the, you know, that's the fantasy scenario that everybody's clinging to that somehow two months from now that this thing is going to be under control to a degree that that fantasy scenario of trying to resuscitate the league in the summer could actually take place. But, you know, in in the soccer playing countries in Europe, they, they are they think they're going to do that. I am, I mean, I am no epidemiologist, but I'm a huge skeptic. I I just I don't know how Europe or us are going to be in a position where that could actually happen as quickly as July or August. And I I hope I hope I am wrong because yep. I I do agree with Mark Cuban, a comeback for the NBA of any type. Even a modified, abbreviated, whatever they got to do, playoffs to make it work would be a huge shot in the arm for all kinds of sports fans. But, I mean, it's just, it's really hard to picture us getting to that point.
0: Who is the biggest Premier League fan in NBA player core? I don't know that you could say, I don't know. I think there are a lot more than even I know about. I mean, look, it's a league where you
1: have, and it's not just the Premier League in England. I think, uh, you know, there's a hundred every year there's a hundred players from different countries in the world. And, and obviously a lot of them love teams from the countries that they grew up in or other, te- you know, like Luka Doncic played his, you know, spent his whole youth career at Real Madrid. So he's a huge Real Madrid fan. You know, Rudy Gobert, a Frenchman loves PSG, I believe, or maybe that's Batum. I can't remember who, who likes who. So I, I mean, there are, there are a lot of soccer fans, but the, the column you referenced, I just, Josh Hart of the Pelicans and Larry Nance of the Cavs, they were Laker teammates for a half season, but these guys are still close friends. They are just, not just Chelsea fans. I mean, they are so vocal about it. They love, I mean, Nance, I'm actually worried. Nance is showing so many Stein-like tendencies. I'm deeply, deeply worried for him. <laughs> I mean, he's playing this game. He's playing this game called Fantasy Football Manager, which is not FIFA. This is like stratum, a computerized, stratomatic version of soccer. I mean, this guy, He last year when the Cavs season ended, he went to England for five straight days and watched games in five different cities. I mean, that's the kind of... That's the kind of nonsense that I pull. So I, I'm, I'm deeply worried for him, but now these guys love it. And, and basically on last Friday, Josh Hart just tweeted, I really missed the premier league. And it just, it just, that's just kind of was the inspiration for, I got to track these guys down and, you know, cause they, they're, they're so into it. They lost two seasons, they lost their own and they lost the one that they love as fans. And I think that's why it's great to talk to them because they're players, but they know what it's like to be a fan and have that snatched away. They can really identify with what NBA fans are feeling all over because that, that's what's, you know, this is you know, obviously the biggest global crisis of our time. It's the biggest sporting crisis, global sporting crisis ever realistically. And this, this is the first time in our lives we don't have sports as that outlet from the bad stuff. And I think that's where, you know, that's what 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 complicates it for a lot of people. We just don't have that outlet right now.
0: There's this quote in the story where Josh Hart's talking about the bubble and saying like I'm I'm feeling not not very optimistic about the season starting anytime soon and then in the next 2 to 3 4 months it's just too hard. Again, this is from Mark Stein's New York Times article. Uh, unless they, are, they were somehow able to build a huge hotel in an arena and put a bubble over it in some random place somewhere, that's my only guess how to f- actually finish the season in the next several months. You really do have to create a bubble. And I, my heart broke. You know why, Mark? Because I think Josh Hart, in whatever bubble scenario they, they come up with, if that ever comes to fruition, I don't think Josh Hart is playing in that bubble. I don't think teams well. are going to finish the regular season. I, I just the idea of the New Orleans Pelicans being part of a of the bubble. It supposes that the bubble, if it does happen, would finish out the regular season because the Pelicans right now are out of the playoff picture. And I feel like if there is a bubble that somehow this coronavirus spread dissipates, flattens. In the next couple months here in the United States, we're able to go to Las Vegas or some other city and create this bubble. I think the most realistic scenario is they do an abridged postseason of three game series, and this isn't with any sort of intel from the league. This is me just kind of looking at the facts here, and i I think a lot of a lot of players in the league are going to be strung along here to think maybe we're going to do this bubble, maybe, but it's going to end up being just a truncated. Postseason, if it ever happens.
1: Yeah, look, don't listen to my skepticism. Don't listen to us. We're when the players say it, and I know there have been others, not just what Josh said. I'm pretty sure I read Damian Lillard vo- voice similar concerns in an in interview he's done lately. Larry Nance, you know, he suffers from Crohn's disease. You know he he has to take medication that weakens his immune system just to be able to play basketball. In the best of circumstances, the players have to have the loudest voice here. They're the ones who first and foremost are going to have to feel comfortable going into this theoretical bubble that would be established. So, are you going to get the buy-in for the players? Can there be an? Inv- can can they do something as quickly as July or August to establish an environment that is going to make players feel safe and ready to hoop? You know that again. I am not qualified to answer that question, but just. As a longtime observer, it, you're, you are skeptical to see how that could happen that quick. Because again, we're talking, if you bring all 30 teams, I mean, we're talking 500 players, coaches, staffs, referees, all the people you need from a television perspective to put these games on TV, because obviously you're going to want to televise everything. And we're talking thousands of people still, even if the gyms are, quote, empty. These are going to be a, thousands of people descending on Las Vegas how so the, do you quarantine? how do you ensure the virus doesn't doesn't resurface? I mean, there, you know, there's just so many variables.
0: So on those variables, my column this week for uh, for NBC Sports is about this topic is you know, once I heard the idea of the bubble, I just thought, man, that doesn't seem safe to me. That doesn't seem plausible. But you know what? I'm not an epidemiologist. So I got on the phone, or actually I cold called. This was I was putting my my reporter hat on uh, and I just started cold calling different epidemiology uh, departments around the country. And shockingly they came back. And I guess partly, you know, this is the weird thing that happens when you do interviews with people Mark over the years, it's very rare that the person on the other end, the person the subject of that interview that you're reporting on when you say thank you for taking the time and speaking with me, it's very rare, at least in my experience, Mark, that they return the favor and say, no, thank you for writing about this. And when I get on the phone with epidemiologists, that's my experience is I I am the one who feels like uh, I should be thanking them for doing me a favor by by. Opening up and talking about this and, and making me more educated about this,
1: but what ends up happening? And we need to because let's let, let, let's be honest. You have always been among us as NBA writers as focused. I mean, you know, you're in the top one or two of guys who writes about health issues in the NBA, but. Have have we ever even pondered epidemiology or <laughs> no. the spread of the? I mean, it's, it's, infectious it's never disease even come experts,
0: up. right? So these guys, they 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 tell me after I get off the phone, I interview them for a few minutes, and they they mark they just melt and they say, "No, thank you for letting us have this platform because people just don't get it out there." One of the epidemiologists I spoke to, Dr. Neil Gandhi. He's at Emory University at the School of Public Health there. He's a professor. He's been doing this a long time. He's been volunteering at different uh, testing sites around Fulton County, Georgia, to help the drive-through testing sites. And he had to watch today, the governor of Georgia, say that he just found out in the last 24 hours that this, uh, this coronavirus, you can transmit it without having symptoms. And this epidemiologist when i was speaking to him was just floored because how is it possible that the leader of an entire state atlanta hosted an olympics not too long ago and yet the the government there is i don't know if it's incompetence or if it's just they didn't they they were so busy with other things they didn't quite see all the facts but These epidemiologists don't feel like they're getting their message out there. And so when Dr. Fauci is doing a Instagram live chat with Stephen Curry, you might think that this is a huge get by Stephen Curry, but it's the other way around in some sense that Dr. Fauci is sitting there and being like, I have an engaged audience of probably younger Americans who might not be hearing this message clearly. And that's my experience is these epidemiologists who study this for a living, how these diseases spread, the models in which they spread, the seriousness of these, of these spreads, the, the, the false negative rates, all these things we have no idea about. So when I interview them, their message was clear. Mark, this is A, a great idea in theory, and B, not so much in practicality. The idea of creating a bubble, a quarantine safe space In a city is something, it's a fantasy idea that that makes us feel like, hey, we're human beings. We can pull this off. But you said it. The logistics of making a quarantine bubble is astronomically difficult. And this is the theme that uh, I spoke with, I interviewed four of them for the story. You have every person that walks through those doors to the bubble. From a scientific standpoint, from a uh, from an infectious infectious disease expert point of view, the perspective is each and every one of those individuals of the five hundred you say or the thousands you say has to self quarantine for two to three weeks before they enter the bubble, and in that self quarantine, it is an isolation chamber. You are not allowed to go. Pick up a delivery from the Amazon guy, dropping off a package. You're not allowed to go on a grocery run. That in shelter-in-place,s are allowed, Mark. So your family—it's not just you; it's everyone in your house has to do the same. You are building a, a, a mini bubble before you enter in the big bubble, because there's the worry. And when you say two to three weeks, why three weeks? I thought the the coronavirus has an incubation period of two weeks. Well, the issue is if you are let's say positive right at the start of the 14 days, but you're not showing any symptoms, it is possible that you are symptomatic and you are able to spread the disease past the 14 out, 14 day mark that you have a, uh, a low threshold of positive uh, coronavirus uh, in your sample. So you might test negative five days into this quarantine and then get it or show enough positive in your sample, that later on you're going to show positive. And then you have your incubation period for two weeks after that. So think about it. If all the NBA players, 450, 500 players, are in this bubble, each and every one of those 500 people would have to be quarantining themselves, sheltering themselves away from society for two to three weeks. And then they go in and hope that the false negatives, that's the big variable people need to think about is the idea that this test you go in and there's someone in this bubble that actually is positive and is spreading the disease unknowingly and that is the thing that uh, haunts epidemiologists thinking about this it is something that i think about a lot is the new york times today in your publication today an article by harlan Krumholz, I'm probably mispronouncing that name. Uh, I deserve all the hate for that because everyone does it to me too. My last name. He's a professor of medicine at Yale, director of Yale New Haven Hospital. And he wrote about that there's research showing that the false negative rate in China uh, is up to 30%. Wow. The idea of quarantining, and, and we didn't even talk about this variable that the epidemiologist mentioned. It's not the players. Are you also... Quarantining and self-isolating the staff, the hotel staff, the people who feed the players, the people who are cleaning up the rooms for the players, the, the hospitality staff that have to keep this bubble going for four weeks at a time. The idea is, hey, maybe we can create a cruise ship on land. Well, we know how cruise ships have gone. When there's an outbreak and there's a bunch of people who think that they're okay and they're in this bubble, it can still spread inside there. And... There's staff that you would have to quarantine too.
1: Yeah, none of it's encouraging, man. None of it is. And you know, look, I do want to. I do, I do want to clarify one thing. I, you know, obviously, when I was very young and, and long before young Show even dreamed of covering the NBA, obviously, there was a time when when Magic Johnson made his HIV announcement, and that was kind of the first time infectious disease ever came up. So I shouldn't say never ever in the NBA, but even then, I think it was so long ago. In the intervening years. I mean this is this is this is my twenty seventh season and and I don't in those twenty seven seasons I don't remember consulting many epidemiologists. I mean this is just such uncharted, unprecedented territory. But I will say this I understand why the NBA is brainstorming and I don't subscribe to the let's just they should just cancel. Just cancel now.
0: Yeah. Just, no, I'm with let's you. Man. End the
1: charade End the charade and cancel now. I don't think there's harm in trying to hold out hope, even though, again, it, you know, as I'm sure your column will, will lay out the even greater detail that it, you know, it sounds like an extreme, extreme, extreme long shot to be able to make any of this happen by July or even August. But at this point, at this juncture, early April, there is still time. There's no reason to rush. So let's, you know, let's just see. But yeah, I mean, I think people need to maintain a sense of realism here that that as badly as NBA Twitter and hoop fans everywhere want the league to come back it just it just may not be possible this season
0: and Adam Silver in that uh interview with Rachel Nichols a couple weeks ago which someone joked to me that we need to start talking like dog years like there's pandemic years where it feels like it's two years ago but it was actually two weeks ago Two weeks ago or so when Rachel Nichols had Adam Silver, he did mention like, hey, one of the ideas that we're considering is some sort of charity tournament with a smaller number of players competing just to have some semblance of normalcy back, some semblance of the NBA back. But if it wouldn't be uh, the the playoff picture, might not be the, the end of the regular season. So maybe a pared down version of the playoffs where it's not 500 players, it's just you know, maybe a select few, uh, that they do quarantine and they're able to control the, that environment a lot easier. So look, I'm with you. I think the timetable here, there isn't necessarily a rush to figure this out. The normal regular uh, off-season begins uh, July 1st, but there is an off-season of a couple months before training camp opens usually. Maybe there's the argument that this is the off season, and if the season ends in October, they can restart things in December next year, and then start the season a little bit later. But let's let's go into that scenario. Mark is when you do say that the timetable. There's no reason to rush, but there has to be a drop dead date, right? Like, no pun intended. Like it's crass, but like, what is the t- deadline for? Hey, if this season doesn't start by X date, uh, we need well, to just wipe I think- it away.
1: People have thrown around early September on the premise that now you're encroaching upon the NFL, but who's to say the NFL won't start late because of what's going on. I think it's more going to have to be the NBA is going to have to figure out at what point do we start messing up next season. I think that's really the bigger variable for the league to figure out for them to decide at what point do we do to, keeping everyone in this holding pattern start to endanger next season. But uh, you know, I know I don't have to convince you. I know you're at the, the front of the line of let's change the whole calendar. Let's start in <laughs> December. Let's play through August. Let's have free agency and summer league in September. And look, it's, we, it's interesting. We spent so much time this season. People don't love Adam Silver's soccer style in season tournament. There's resistance to the, to the playoff play idea as well. But the December start the season in December idea that actually does have, I don't, I don't know how to exactly put a number on it, but there is support for that. There is a faction within the NBA that is very curious about that to see what that would look like. And there definitely is that line of thinking, maybe this is our chance to give that a whirl, maybe because of this force majeure circumstances, we're going to have to move next season to different points on the calendar and and test drive this thing and, and see how it turns out. And I have to say, I've kind of been, you know, moved to that line of thinking as well. I'm a traditionalist. I hate change. I, you know, I've lived in October to October through August life for as long as I can remember. Um, so I think I was hesitant to it at first, but I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of compelling thought behind that idea that go to Christmas push it all the way through August. You're competing against college football, the NFL the least amount of time. Now, but I would also say, you know, I have teenagers at home. You know, my my oldest is almost out the door and my, my youngest is 13. For people who have young families, that is going to be, and and, this, and I'm talking about players too, not not reporters. If summers go away, that's going to be a major, major, major change in people's lives. It might be best for the game in terms of ratings and and the the massive amount of runway that the nba would have in july and august where it's basically only competing against baseball and major league soccer in north america and and you know other other non-team sports that might all sound great in the chase for ratings and advertising dollars but from a lifestyle point of view that is going to be hard on a lot of people
0: including myself where my wife uh when we when we were starting out after college We were dating and I was in the baseball at the time. I was covering uh, baseball on a regular basis for ESPN and she was a teacher telling you being a baseball uh, researcher or someone who's covering baseball with a teacher who's off in the summers. Not great. (laughs) Not great. Not good. Not Not good. good. And so when the opportunity arose to switch over to basketball, she was doing backflips. She was so excited because then we could have a schedule that's matching up more or less is that summers quote unquote are off. Now, of course summers for both of us, we both know there is no off season in the NBA, but in terms of actually being in uh, arenas and stuff that is, that is the schedule that we have now. And and you're right is as much as I'm pushing for a December 25th start for a litany of reasons we won't go into, but you're right is that the summers early, you know, late July, early August, September, those, those months are now going to be taken up a lot more. So on and that's that- why And that's why we need, we need to test drive this thing. That's why I think yeah. a lot of people, even the people who
1: like it, I think they want to test drive it. And, and even, even the test drive, there's problems because let's say, let's just pretend everything the epi- epidemiologist told you, you didn't hear that. And let's just say, you know what? We are optimistic, and July and August might happen. Ratings are going to be great if mm. that happens because everyone is going to be so grateful that sports is back on TV. There's no way those games won't just be through the roof. Is that a fair judgment of what July and August TV audiences? would be because you know there was for so long there was the thinking you don't want to be on tv in the summer people don't watch tv in the summer they're not home but then you hear mark cuban in every interview saying no it's not like that anymore viewing habits have changed we think they've changed but again they're they they do not have, have the data. data yeah exactly so they need to check it out
0: i agree with you now you've written about this too and i i wonder if we do push back the schedule though mark what happens to the olympics next year
1: and that's it. I mean, I think, and again, this is, it will be sad and you know, and by the way, is it, da- is it better to say data than I said data? You say it's you both said data. I, I, be, I probably I be put...
0: smarter if I, <laughs> I be smarter if I said data, data, I don't know. Let's ask Fizdale. Maybe Fizdale take that for data. He said, take that for data or data. What did he I think say? He
1: said, take that for data. We got to, we got to, we got to workshop that one.
0: Yes. Yes. We got to ask Fiz.
1: Take that for data.
0: We have a 71-year-old-to-be 72-year-old head coach, Greg Popovich, who is now pushing back another year.
1: Well, if that calendar
0: change happens, when it, let's say it even happens
1: five years from now. If it ever gets to that point that the NBA and the players collectively bargain and decide to completely change the NBA calendar, obviously NBA participation in the Olympics would be no more. That would just have to be a casualty. And even though the world championships are typically later in the summer, it might be where NBA participation is, is, is completely gone. If the calendar ever switches to that point now for, but for the immediate Olympics, the, the 2020 games that have now been moved to 2021, that's the thing. We just don't, we, until we know the start and end dates of next season, you can't know will any NBA players be available next July to go to the Olympics will maybe the NBA players from teams that missed the playoffs be available I mean you would still rather have them if, if nothing else I think you could still put together a, pr- a pretty strong team from from teams that missed the playoffs if the if the regular seasons over again it's just it's so speculative because we just don't know the dates but yes I think I I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that the future of Olympics basketball is up in the air now.
0: And for all the kids out there, um, including myself because let's uh, let's face it I was 6 years old for the 92 Olympics. So before that, it wasn't all the stars going to p- participate in in the uh Team USA basketball. So there is precedent for that, right?
1: Well, the pros were playing for all the countries except the United States. That was the problem. <laughs> so Oh, they, the—I mean, not every country, but in a lot of countries, the pros were, you know, soldiers. So uh, I mean, look, the, I, the I don't economics don't have changed too. Question, yeah. I, I don't think there's any question that NBA participation in the Olympics has been such a huge boost for the game overall. It changed the face of the sport, and again, like we mentioned earlier, there's a hundred players a year in this league from, you know, born in countries outside the United States. And it all started with the Dream team in 92. And, you know, he just passed away. Boris Stankovic, the longtime head of FIBA. And, you know, he was the one who, from the mid-80s on, it was his mission to get the Olympics open to NBA players because he knew that it made no sense for the best 300 players in the world at the time League was smaller to be excluded from the, pinna- the the supposed pinnacle of the sport at the Olympics, but he also knew as your, your as you know the European players were just starting to make their way here. He wanted those guys to be able to play for their national teams too. He didn't want Drazen Petrovic and and Vlade Divac and and those guys to be shut out from the Olympics because they had suddenly gone to the NBA. So. It was a great thing. It's been a great thing. I mean, you know me well enough to know I absolutely love international basketball. Our old friend Kevin Arnovitz always says I'm like a different person when I'm covering those <laughs> events. And I would, I would, if we get to that point that the calendar did change, I, I, I would miss it badly. And I, 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 you know, it would, it would, it would be a shock to the system because it's been, it really has been great for basketball.
0: It has, and I know the economics have changed too, so that like players will want to go uh, overseas to promote their shoe deals or promote their shoes, and they have contracts that require a lot of appearances overseas, and and that's fun for players. That's fun, like to go for Klay Thompson to go to you know China. Clay is a thing because a lot of players look forward to this even more than the NBA season. Well, for all the trouble that they
1: had last summer putting a World Cup roster together and 30-something guys ended up saying no. And they they brought a team that, uh, you know, could only finish seventh. And it was, you know, yet another huge disappointment on the national team stage that Greg Popovich had to live through when he thought he was going to have a team filled with stars, and we all did. They thought they were going to have a team that would waltz to the gold and win the World Cup, and they finished seventh. But this summer for the Olympics, he was going to have – I mean, there was no – no one was going to touch them. They were going to. Have, I, I, you know, I. He never said it. He never confirmed it. But I think a lot of people felt like LeBron was going to play. I mean, there was no guarantee, but he kept his name in the hat. Yep. they were going to have a great team. They were going to win the gold, and that chance is gone. And we'll, we'll just have to see what holds next summer.
0: And Stephen Curry has never played in the Olympics. Badly and badly wants wanted. to. I had this other thought too when talking about returning the season. Mark is. The, the shape that these players are in, if you're going to self-quarantine before going into the so-called bubble, that means they're going to be in rotten shape, even more rotten shape. They're going to have to go through training camp inside the bubble. So the idea of getting in shape and then self-quarantining and then going into training camp and practicing, it just seems so hard. It seems so hard to wrap my head around. But there are... Look, that that could be three months from now, four months from now. The world could be different. The masks situation could be different. The testing situation could be different. Um, the virus itself, the infection could be different. The vaccination technology uh, could be different. Like all of this, those variables still have to play out. Um, and so as much as the epidemiologists are saying now that it's very unrealistic, the words they used was bad idea, foolish, un- un- unrealistic, But that's also operating on what we're seeing right now. And there's just so much we don't know about that. And And let's
1: face it, even if everything changes and suddenly the outlook gets sunnier, it's still going to take guys a month to get ready, at least a month. I mean, they went from full speed mid-March playoffs are a month away to abrupt shutdown. You know, again, if I can shamelessly plug my own work, the story you talked about where I talked to Josh Hart and Larry Nance. I mean, I thought they had some interesting thoughts. You know, Josh Hart said, there's a mental toll when you don't even get to shoot the ball. I mean, there's a lot of guys right now who, who aren't even getting shots up because they can't. And that, you know, that's just, it's so, that's a shock to the system for a basketball player at this time of year. And then Larry Nance had the comment, look, I bought myself a Peloton, I got weights at home. That's not keeping me in basketball shape. Nobody in the league right now or maybe maybe, that's, maybe maybe we shouldn't say everybody, but <laughs> yeah. a, a large percentage of players are already out of basketball shape. It goes that quick. Yep. And, and they don't I, have a
0: basketball. People think these players make millions of dollars. Every single NBA player has an indoor court, obviously, because I watched that one show of Cribs and that NBA player I seen, whether it was Shaq or whoever it is, had a court. So obviously right. all these guys have courts. No, I, I, there's probably what? Like the, the teams that I pulled about whether they have an indoor court, most of them do not. Most players in the NBA do not have a home court, and I think a lot of that has to do with the player empowerment era or at least the transaction era, where players are not buying houses in the cities that they play in as much Be- simply because they're, they're everything is transient you well know, let's play- say you might, you know got everybody ha- everybody has a home where
1: they're from, but you know if you play for the New Orleans pelicans and you live somewhere else. You probably have a small place near the practice facilities, which you're because under normal circumstances, before something like this happened that none of us saw coming, if you want to get shots up, you just go to the gym. You just go, you can go to your team facility 24 hours a day. You know, people living in, you know, what what about the Warriors? These guys are living downtown in a major city with no space. Where, where are they going to, where are you going to have a hoop? So uh, it's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, it's everyone is going to need. It's going to take, there has to be a month before before they can really start playing. Especially, this is the load management area. We can, you know, everybody, all we do is talk about, you know, keeping these guys fit and paying extra, extra attention to making sure players don't get hurt. I mean, I think you have to, you know, a, an abundance of caution is going to be, is going to have to be applied to getting these guys back on the court.
0: Yeah. And then, and then throw this in the mental toll of being quarantined in a bubble without your family. I mean, I'm just, I'm supposing that you're not allowed to bring in family into this bubble because just the, the number of tests that you would have to have to check each and one, every one of these players, you know, like I I raised the the question of our temperature checks that the Chinese association is, is administering. Is that enough? And they're like laughing at that notion is like, you need to test these people. It's not enough to, stick a thermometer in your mouth and say, hey, do you have this, do you have a temperature? No, okay, you don't have the disease. We, we, There's plenty of evidence. And that's the scariest thing about this disease is that you can transmit it without feeling any symptoms. And we see that all across the league too, is they're asymptomatic carriers of this disease. And so the idea of, of players going to a quarantine city And we talk so much about in this league with Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan, uh, these pioneers in the mental health space who talk about the importance of mental health and and not isolating yourself uh, in the, you know, super travel heavy schedule. It's easy to get down. It's easy to just lose sleep. In a bubble, you're talking about like a month or two months in a bubble where you're not with your family. The mental toll that that must take, I, I just, I don't know, man. I feel... I feel like it's good that we're thinking about these things. It's good that we're exploring these ideas. And when they're raised, the league office is just simply saying, you know, everything's on the table. We're not throwing anything out. Uh, But these are the things that players, coaches, uh, executives are thinking about is these variables that we take for granted in the NBA schedule. And now we have to really think about, okay, what happens if a player turns his ankle and needs to get an MRI in a bubble? Do they go to a hospital? Are you going to have a hospital staff on site? Like, what if you, what if he needs a cleanup, an arthroscopic surgery? Let's say LeBron James or Giannis Antetokounmpo stars for contenders want a quick cleanup and then be back on the floor in two weeks. Is that going to be done in this bubble? I don't think we're doing a great job of lifting people's spirits here. <laughs> so on that note of your your fans... Uh, no, sorry. The league is has you know has a reason why they're holding out and exploring these ideas and not saying, "Hey, season's over." Like I do think that there's value in that because a, the longer this goes, the more information we're going to have about the disease, and b, the longer this goes, I think people will start to think more creatively about how we get this back together. The longer this draws out, people will be start. Okay, I'm more open to a- idea X. And so, look, uh, I like this eSports thing. I like to see that the players are be engaged. I'm curious, again, more data points. I want to see how many people tune in to these simulated games. The, the data that we're seeing on NASCAR is fascinating to me. And I know we feel super old when we're talking about this stuff that, like, oh, maybe millions of people want to watch uh, NBA players playing video games. But it's, it's interesting, it's interesting for someone like me who does fantasy sports on a cooking show with Kevin Ardovitz called Pack Your Knives. This is like we'll do fantasy or gambling with just about anything these days. And so maybe, you know, the NBA is going to learn a few things about just, um, you know, having these creative ideas, these innovative ideas to create content. Yeah. I
1: don't know. Somebody threw out on Twitter, horse competition through FaceTime or, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff <laughs> yeah. that can be done. So, I mean, things I think there are you know there's much more creative people than me out there. People will keep coming up with ideas. obviously all the networks are starved for content. I mean you see the frenzy that just the, the, the prospect of this Jordan documentary is, is creating like this is gonna get the greatest sports doc ratings ever just because we're, we're all so thirsty for something new already. It's only been three weeks and and we're beside ourselves.
0: So you're more plugged in than anyone I know. The NBA draft, that's a variable we, or an area that we haven't really talked about. You're talking to agents. What are they saying about the draft?
1: Well, look, I think everyone knows it's going to be a completely different draft run right up than we've ever seen because there can be no workouts. Uh, you can't have the dinners. We're obviously not going to have a Chicago pre-draft camp. Uh, You know, the, 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 human interaction is just going to be so much less than it's ever been. And that's going to be a major, major change for, for everyone. But I mean, look, I think the, the, the basic here that kind of, I'm, I've been thinking about a lot is, I mean, we don't know when the draft's going to even be, you know, this isn't the NFL where you, you know, the draft falls so far beyond the season after it, you know, two months later, I mean. If the NBA has any hope, if the as long as there is hope of playing in July or in August, and as long as that stays on the table, there can't be a draft because the standings aren't final. So there's not going to be a draft <laughs> a until the point. standings are declared final. So, the reality is we don't even know when the draft is going to be. You know, I know all the draft. You know, and I am not a draft expert. I always said one of the greatest things about working. At ESPN, was that Chad Ford did all of it, and I didn't. I didn't have to be. I didn't have to worry about those guys. So they, so they got to the NBA. I know a lot of draft experts are saying the process will be more pure. We're going to focus more. No, we're not. Teams aren't going to get seduced by last-minute workouts and agent pro days and the great dinner that we had in Chicago. It's going to be more about their body of work in college. Let's let's see. Let's see if teams are are, are actually happy about that because I'm I, I'm guessing they are going to miss those human interactions badly. I mean, you can be fooled by a guy at dinner and even if you spend two three days with him before the draft, but I'm sure teams would much rather have those face to face interactions than not. And and now by and large in this draft, I, I just they're not going to have them.
0: I hope sometime soon we can cheers. I know it's going to be weird. The whole our whole like hygiene is going to change in this country. Just shaking hands, cheersing drinks. Ah, do I really want to cheers you? But I do want to ask: How is your uh, soda? Your glass bottle, Coca Cola. How is that supply doing in your world? Because that's the uh, the you, number one concern know, on everyone's mind.
1: You should you, you should know that I take all kinds of precautions, even in, even in the best of circumstances. So please do not, do not waste an ounce of concern <laughs> on that. And to be honest, if
0: it's, that's uh, your toilet paper, that's what you're hoarding. Like I, the first I, sign of a pandemic. My,
1: if I couldn't get my glass bottle Cokes and I had to actually start drinking more water, that would obviously be, that would be a much better thing anyway. So one, either way, I'll be fine.
0: Do you, do you remember me giving you a t-shirt for the Haber show? I think I'm gonna give you a sweatshirt or something, now, just to make sure. What what would what would make Mark Stein wear some of the merch? Like, what are you looking for these is there days? There a hoodie? I love hoodies. Okay, I might get you a hoodie. There is a is there a hoodie? We'll make a special one for you. There might not be a hoodie, but we'll make a special. I don't have a hoodie. Maybe you will be the only one who has a hoodie, specialized for you, Mark. I like it. And there's gonna be uh maybe a little care package with some some soda in there some uh some coke glass bottle coke send,
1: send it send it to someone who needs it man seriously yeah. like like i said that's the that that is the you know being with my family like it's you know it's 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 i mean i just did a story with with the great john branch at the times who's just on um, what a writer! Well, I just can't. I can't even. This the New York so City good.
0: basketball story.
1: It's not. Yeah, and and so we we collaborated on this story about this, this oh. group of of college. You know, these guys who all play. They all deep ties to New York City hoop. They all know each other. A bunch of former college players. They went to a a, a, a party at a cigar bar on March fourteenth, and you know, two people at the party died. You know, five six people at the party got the, got the virus. It just spread. So quick and it's just, it's just, it's, it's, it's unreal now. It's just this whole thing, you know, we've been living it now for weeks and it still is just so surreal.
0: I mean, today I had my surreal moment, probably the most poignant moment that our whole world has changed is I went for a run outside today and I ran through a park here in Charlotte and I've gone to this park tons of times with my daughter. She's three years old and she loves these swings at the park and I taught her how to swing in a big girl swing at this park. So I'm running through this park and it has a lot of like really, you know, very vivid, like important memories, this park. And I ran by it today and they have zip tied all of the swings to the pole of the swing set at this playground. And I almost choked up in the middle of this run. I almost had to stop because the the image of a row of swings, child swings, baby swings. 10 of them were chained to the poles by zip ties so that you could not sit in them. It just broke my heart. It broke my heart that this is the But also you got to stop you got to stop us from us
1: because if it wasn't I
0: would be, would- be there.
1: <laughs> People would be using them. I mean, yeah.
0: you
1: know, I can, I can act all, all smart and, and, you know, know it all now, but March 1st, just a few days before you went to that Sloan conference, you know where I was on March 1st? I was in England. I was at Wembley stadium with 85,000 people watching a soccer game.
0: Where was I? And, I was at chase center watching with, you know, 20,000 people watching sure, the, the wizards. Of game.
1: course there was, you know, there was concern at that point, but it's like, I you know my soccer team's playing at Wembley. I I have a plane ticket. I have a ticket for the game. There's no way I'm missing that. Like we 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 need to be stopped because we we are all you know sports fans. We are we get carried away.
0: Oh, Mark. All right. Yeah. I don't um I don't know what to say, but um hey, we're going to get some games eventually. We'll be back on the road. Uh things will pick up. And we'll be able to talk about uh, the debate between Zion Williamson and John Morant soon enough. So um, I'm excited for that. And uh, look, man, stay safe out there. You're doing an amazing job at the New York times. Uh, every, every time you write something uh, it just, the, the the fact that you're able to weave in your tennis and your, and your soccer coverage and your I got to knock it off.
1: I, I'm getting it. I know that, you know, I'm, it's I've great written a little too much soccer I've written it too much soccer lately I gotta knock it oh, off. oh stop I get, stop I get too excited you're flexing
0: get... man you're flexing I'm like, soccer I'm like oh yeah
1: soccer and NBA intersect like now nah, i gotta i got I gotta give that a rest for a minute
0: well uh everyone is obviously following you already, but if you don't uh the Steinline at the Steinline and at the New York Times uh thank you so much for taking an hour and Taking an hour away from your family. I'm going to go back to my family now. But uh, thanks so much, Mark. Sounds good, brother. Everybody be safe out there. Hello. This is Kareth Burke from the Run and Plays podcast. Golden State Warriors head coach Steve Kerr joined us to reveal how his world has changed since the coronavirus outbreak and the moment he knew this is serious. The
1: uh, Clippers, everything felt weird. It was like, you know, the, the crowd was, you know, at the beginning of the game was maybe half full. And everybody was, contemplating what was happening
0: find the run and plays podcast for free on your favorite podcast provider all right that'll do it for this week's episode of the Haber show podcast a huge thank you to mark stein for joining me you can follow him at the stein line on twitter you're probably doing that already 1.3 million followers on twitter yeah thanks so much he's a great friend of mine uh A mentor of mine over the years. So uh, it was a pleasure to talk to him, even on such a tough topic uh, like this. But I hope everyone out there is taking all the precautions there to keep yourself and your family healthy and safe from this disease. And uh, if you want to learn more about what it's like to be an NBA player or a pro player dealing with a pandemic uh, on a previous episode of The Haber Show, go listen to this one with Michael Roll, who is currently in Italy, in Naples, Italy during a lockdown. And he had really interesting things to say about what that life is like. He's also expecting his first child in Naples, Italy during this lockdown. So go check that out. The Haber Show, please subscribe, rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And I know you're going to have a lot of time on your hands. So go listen to past episodes, go catch up, go tell your friends. All right. Stay safe, everybody. Until next time.